0: Our scripture reading this morning is going to be 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, uh, you will find 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 on page 1016. Obviously, this morning has been a different kind of service for us. It has been a service of, of prayer as we lift up our brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted because they follow Christ. As I said earlier, World Magazine estimates that this means some 200 million believers around the world today. One in 12 Christians facing some sort of persecution because they are a disciple. Some are slandered, some are marginalized, some are actively oppressed, and some will even be killed for their faith. Most of us here this morning will never face persecution at that sort of level. By God's grace, we enjoy a level of religious freedom that has been virtually unknown throughout most of human history. But still, even here in the United States, all of us will face some sort of persecution as followers of Jesus Christ, a degree of slander, a level of marginalization, maybe even some measure of oppression. Our lives will be harder because we follow Christ. The question is, how are we to think about such persecution? How are we to think about the severe persecution that our brothers and sisters around the world face? How are we to feel and to think about the the obviously less persecution that we face, but still real persecution? And more importantly, how are we to respond? These are the very questions that Peter has in mind as he writes these verses. So let us pray and ask God for His blessing upon the reading and the preaching of His Word here this morning. Father God, we come before you this morning thinking of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. And we, we have to admit that their experience perplexes us. It, Troubles us. Father, give us ears to hear Peter this morning as he teaches us how to think about persecution and how to respond to it. May your Spirit speak through your Word this morning to conform us more and more to the image of the glory of your Son that we might live as people of light in an age of darkness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. This is the very word of God. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering while doing good this is the reading of God's Word to many and maybe even many here this morning it seems strange that God would allow his people to be persecuted he is after all the faithful creator He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the God who called into existence all that is by the word of His power. He is the God who now rules all things by His mighty hand. He is the God who does whatever He pleases. He is the God who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Why then would He allow His people to suffer Persecution, it is a question that can shake our faith and cause us to doubt His steadfast love and faithfulness. Whether it is our own suffering, such as it is, or whether it is the suffering of our brothers and sisters and Christ around the world, we wonder how and why an all-good, all-powerful God would allow His people to face such fiery trials. We're not the first to ask the question. It seems clear that the Christians to whom Peter is writing wrestled with this very same question. And in these verses, Peter gives them a twofold answer. First, he tells them how they are to think about persecution. And then he tells them how they are to respond to it. I want us to briefly consider both of his points this morning. First, how do we think about persecution? What are we to to make of it? In answering this question, Peter actually makes several points. First, he says that we should not be surprised by persecution. The fiery trial should not surprise us. He says this plainly in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to, to test you as if something strange were happening to you. He says, do not be surprised. Do not be taken off guard as if the fiery trial were something unexpected. Throughout Scripture, the image of fire is used in at least two ways. Sometimes fire is a a destructive force. It is the instrument of God's consuming wrath. At other times, fire is a refining force. It is the instrument of God's purifying love. It would seem that here, Peter has the second usage in mind. He, he says that the trial comes to test his brothers and sisters. And the word that he uses for, for test is a word is a word that almost always has positive connotations. It is a word that, that suggests strengthening, the way that an athlete strengthens himself by testing. And so Peter says, listen, these, these fiery trials come to, to strengthen you. They are a refining instrument in God's hands and that will be important for us to remember as we try to make sense of what Peter is teaching us here about persecution but for now I just want you to notice that refining fire is still fire it still burns it it still hurts that God uses it for good doesn't make it less painful And so Peter is saying that Christians should not regard painful trials as something strange or as something unusual as something unfitting in the life of a follower of Christ. Fiery trials are simply not out of place in the believers lives. But on the contrary, some measure of persecution, some measure of fiery trial is to be expected By every faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Far from faith guaranteeing health, wealth, and prosperity, as too many say today, faith actually guarantees trouble. Faith actually guarantees fiery trials. And so the first thing that we need to see is that that fiery trials are an expected part of the Christian life and this means secondly that fiery trials are not a reason to be ashamed you see this in verse 16 yet if anyone suffers as a Christian let him not be ashamed now why would someone be ashamed of their trials. Why would someone be ashamed of their suffering? I can think of at least two reasons why a believer might be ashamed of his suffering. First, he might believe that his suffering exposes the foolishness of his faith. His, his suffering might suggest that he had put his trust in a weak or incompetent savior, that he had somehow been beguiled, that he had been fooled into backing the wrong horse, so to speak. It seems to be what Paul has in mind when he says that the one who calls upon the name of the Lord will never be put to shame. He is saying that that faith will never be exposed as foolishness. The one who puts his trust in in Jesus will will never be exposed as a fool. But on the contrary, at at the end The faith of the one who has put his trust in Jesus will always be shown for what it is. That one will always be vindicated. But on this side of the end, before that day of vindication comes, present sufferings might cause a person to doubt that that vindication is ever Coming. They, they might cause a person to doubt the wisdom of, of choosing to trust in, in Jesus. And for that reason, sufferings might cause a person to be ashamed. But there's a second reason that, that a person might be ashamed of their suffering. It might be not that they doubt the, the power of God to save, but they might believe that their suffering somehow shows that. That they have fallen short of what God requires, that God doesn't regard them, that God doesn't love them, that they haven't measured up and therefore they've missed out on God's blessing. There are people today who say, well, if your faith is just sufficient, he will heal you. If your faith is just sufficient, your life will go well. If your faith is just sufficient, material blessing will overflow So what does that mean for the one who is not experiencing such blessings? What does that mean for the one who is struggling to make ends meet? What does that mean for the one whose health is failing? Such wrong notions of of suffering cause a person to be ashamed because their sufferings reveal that their faith must not measure up. But Peter says plainly, neither is true. Our suffering does not belie the power of God to save, but nor does it deny the reality of his love for believers who have faith as small as a mustard seed. On the contrary, our suffering, our suffering under persecution is actually a sign that we are his it is a sign of our union with Christ this is Peter's third point he says that that fiery trials indicate that that we are united to Christ notice what he says in verse 13 when we suffer persecution for his name's sake we are actually participating in his suffering the suffering of the church is the suffering of Christ. And when we participate in the suffering of the church, we participate in the suffering of Christ. And if we participate in the suffering of Christ, then we can know that we will also participate in his glory. In fact, Peter seems to be saying that that not only do those who sharing his suffering now, participating in his glory in the age to come, he he seems to be saying that it is actually our participation in his suffering that brings us to the point of glory. This is actually suggested by the image of refining fire. Think about it. It's not just that that we share in Christ's suffering in order to, to get to glory. On the other side, when I was in high school, my soccer coach required us to spend three hours working on the soccer field before we could attend the tryout. There was no organic connection between picking rocks off the soccer field and and playing soccer. But you had to do the one if you were going to do the other. We sometimes think about suffering that way. Well, there's no real connection between the two, but but God says we have to do this if we're going to get the goods. That's not at all what Peter has in mind. Rather, Peter is suggesting... That The the suffering that we go through is more like the suffering of practice. It's, It's more like the suffering of the drills and the exercises that the coach makes you do to mold you into the soccer player that he knows that you can be. Suffering is an instrument, a refining tool in the hands of our loving Father. It's not simply that God requires us to go through fiery trials, but He is using the fiery trials to fit us for glory. And this is why Peter can say, fourthly, that the one who experiences fiery trials is blessed. Notice he he stops short of calling the suffering itself a a blessing. And in verse 15, he he makes it clear that it's not suffering per se. It's not suffering as suffering. That is a good thing. That is a, a blessing. But rather, it is the one who suffers for the name of Christ. The one who suffers for the name of Christ is blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon him. If you are suffering for the name of Jesus Christ, then you may know for certain that you have been given the Holy Spirit of God to sustain and keep you. If you are suffering for Christ's sake, you are not suffering alone. You have not been forsaken. It feels that way. But in truth, in reality, if we suffer for the name of Christ, then we are being held and sustained and strengthened by the Spirit of God's glory. This is the promise of the gospel. And so being persecuted for the name of Christ is a blessing. And, and thankfully, it's a blessing that is not strange or unusual in the life of a, a believer. It is, it is a blessing that shows us that God is not absent as we sometimes think, but that he is actually present even now, working in our lives for a good that far outweighs whatever health, wealth, or prosperity this temporal life might otherwise offer. This is how we are to think about persecution. This is what Peter teaches the, the, the believers in the first century to believe. This is what we are to believe today. Admittedly, it's, it's not the way that we naturally think. It's not the way that we normally think, but it is how we ought to think. And we need to hear this. We need to renounce the deceitful schemes of the devil who who tells us, often through the mouths of so-called pastors and teachers, that God promises people here ease and comfort in this life. Because the moment we believe that lie, he is ready to accuse God of faithlessness when he doesn't deliver what he never promised. So Peter says plainly, fiery trials are to be expected in this life. It's the same thing Paul said it's the same thing Jesus himself said. Fiery trials are not evidence of God's faithlessness, but rather they are an instrument in his faithful hands. And knowing that determines everything about how we ought to respond. So just briefly, let's look at what Peter has to say about how we respond to these fiery trials that God uses to refine us. First, he says simply, we should rejoice. Verse 13. Having said that we should not be surprised, he goes on to say, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Now, again, don't misunderstand what Peter is saying. We, we may rejoice even as we grieve or groan. He, he made this clear in, in chapter 1 when, when he said that, that believers do both simultaneously. We rejoice even as we grieve, he says. So it's, it's not that we rejoice pretending that sufferings don't hurt or, or pretending that suffering's not suffering. But we rejoice in the midst of the suffering knowing that God intends to use it for our good, and because we know that it is God who is using it, this brings us to the second point. Not only do we rejoice, but we rejoice as we entrust ourselves to God. We intentionally, actively place ourselves in His hands. Unto Him we commit our spirit. And again, it's, it's vitally important that we grasp this. It is not that suffering itself makes us stronger, People sometimes speak that way, as if, as if suffering itself were somehow going to, to work some good, as if the benefits were automatic. They are not. The truth is, suffering sometimes destroys. We know that from experience. And so we don't trust suffering itself. But rather, we trust our Father. We trust the One who has sent His Son to reconcile us to himself we we trust the one who has so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life we trust him our Heavenly Father to use the suffering for our good and so when persecutions come we don't say well this will be alright we say oh our Heavenly Father will use this for good When persecutions come, we entrust ourselves to Him. And thirdly, we entrust ourselves to Him and then press on in the good works that brought the suffering in the first place. We continue to to do the good works that cause people to revile us and and slander us, that cause people to, to marginalize and oppress us. The good works of confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, the good works of following Him in every area of our lives. And we can do this. We can can commit ourselves to Him and continue to follow Him even in the face of persecution because Jesus walked the road ahead of us. Think of what Peter said earlier in this letter. He said that Jesus, when He was suffering, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to the judge who judges justly. And because he entrusted himself to his father, because he obeyed even to the point of death on a cross, we can now follow in his footsteps, knowing that if we suffer with him, We will likewise be exalted with him, knowing that if we share in his suffering, we will also share in his glory. For he defeated death for us, that we who were under a sentence of death might instead know the blessing of eternal life. That's what this table is all about. At this table, we remember that Jesus' body was broken, we remember that his blood was spilled so that we might have a seat at the table of our Father the King. And because that seat is secured, because it is bought and paid for, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we can now face whatever slight and momentary afflictions this world can cook up, knowing that they are not worth comparing with the eternal weight of glory that is being prepared for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because all who suffer in the name of Christ have this blessed assurance, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we thank you for your grace. We confess to you that, that suffering sometimes causes our heads to spin It it causes us to wonder. It causes us to doubt. Father, I pray that you would give us gospel eyes to see persecution as a loving, refining instrument in your faithful hands. And I pray that you would give us the grace to respond accordingly, Father, that we might be conformed more and more to the image of the glory of your Son and that we might be made perfect in the glorifying and enjoying of of you, through him, and the power of the Spirit, for all eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.